Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. We've been going through a series on Christ-centered mentoring, and it's been so refreshing for me to just revisit these important truths that I've learned through the years in discipling and mentoring others, and these are really things that I need to be reminded of on a continual basis. This week, we're going to talk about the concept of never giving up and not growing weary in well-doing, which is something I've struggled with many times in ministry, and maybe you have too. Before we dive in, I wanted to remind you that there are just a few weeks left to save with early bird pricing on our Set Apart Conference for 2023. Our theme this year is Valiant, Becoming a Woman of Heavenly Strength, and I'm so excited to see what God has in store for these messages. If you'd like to join us in Colorado, June 16th through 18th, on-campus space is limited and it does fill quickly, so I encourage you to jump onto setapartgirl.com and click on upcoming events or click the link in this podcast description if you'd like to register. Or if you can't join us in Colorado, consider hosting a simulcast or streaming a simulcast. Once you register for a simulcast, you'll have access to the sessions through Throughout the rest of the year so you can pick a time that works best for you or even show the sessions on a weekly basis at your small group. So click the link in this podcast description and we'd love to have you join us for the conference this year. Let's talk about not growing weary in well-doing, not giving up when God has given you a task to wrestle in prayer or wrestle for a soul in speaking truth into their life. It's very easy to give up and be discouraged when you don't see fruit from the ministry that you are doing. And I believe there will often be times for all of us when we're wrestling for a soul or we're pouring into others that we really don't see much of an outcome. It can feel like you're hitting a brick wall. You can wonder if your prayers or your words are really accomplishing anything. And I want to highlight two beautiful promises from the Word of God that have encouraged me so many times not to give up and not to get discouraged because it's really easy to just look at what you're seeing in the natural and forget the promises and the power of God. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And that is an incredible promise. He doesn't just say, yeah, don't give up. Don't grow weary. He says in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And even if we don't see the fruit of our labors, the fruit of our prayers, the fruit of our ministry, this side of heaven, God promises that the words we are speaking of truth, the prayers we are praying will reap fruit. And it's not because of our perfection, but because of his. Isaiah 55, 11, God says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will not return void. And when we are sowing seeds of truth, it will reap a harvest, even if we don't see that harvest in our lifetime. And in this episode, I want to share with you just a few true stories that have really encouraged me and have proven these promises true and have helped me stay the course and not grow discouraged. At church today, someone was speaking about the story of George Mueller, how he prayed faithfully for several of his unsaved friends for years. And after many months of praying, two of them came to the Lord, but then it took 25 five years for the next one to give his life to Christ. And George Mueller kept persevering in prayer. And then there was one left, one friend that had never given his life to Christ after 52 years of George Mueller praying and wrestling for his soul. He died not seeing that man come to Christ. It was at George Mueller's funeral that that man finally gave his life to the Lord. 
And so what an incredible reminder. It would have been very easy for George Mueller to pray for those first few, see them come to Christ after a couple of years, and then sort of give up on the last couple of them, especially that one that took 52 years. But God's word will not return void. We will reap if we do not lose heart. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful reminder. I want to highlight another story, which is a little known story about missionaries to the Congo in the early 1900s. This is a Swedish missionary couple named David and Savea Flood. They went to the Congo with their two-year-old son, and there were two other couples that were there with them. They wanted to take the gospel to a very remote area. But the village that they went to was just not open to the gospel. The chief would not let them enter his town for fear of angering the local gods that the people believed in. So several of the other missionaries decided to go a little ways down the village area and build their own mud huts and just pray for a spiritual breakthrough, but none seemed to come. The only contact with the villagers that any of the missionaries were allowed to have was this young boy who was allowed to sell them chicken and eggs twice a week. So Savea Flood, who was this tiny woman, apparently only four feet, eight inches tall, she decided that if this was the only African she was ever going to be able to talk to, she was going to pour truth into him and try to lead him to the Lord. And she did. That's that's exactly what she did. She poured truth into him, loved him, spoke the gospel to him, and eventually he gave his life to Christ. But for all of these young missionary couples, there were no other encouragements. And meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member after the next of the missionary group. And so one of the couples decided that they couldn't endure that kind of suffering and sickness. So they returned to a different missionary station. David and Savea Flood remained near the village and decided to go on alone. And then when Savea Flood was pregnant and had a little girl, she was already weak from malaria. And after the delivery, she only lived another 17 days before she died. And her husband, David Flood, just kind of reached a breaking point. He buried his 27-year-old wife and took his children back down the mountain to uh, the other mission station. And he just couldn't really cope with the grief and the feeling of just absolute fruitlessness that he had lost his wife, but really for no reason at all, because he saw absolutely no fruit from being a missionary and from speaking truth. He gave his newborn daughter to this other missionary couple, and he left the faith. He rejected God because of his bitterness. And so the Ericsons actually died not long after they took on that baby girl. And so she was turned over to some American missionaries, And she went to the United States and grew up with this American Christian family and then was married and just really had a really beautiful life. God really took care of her. And when she was an adult married woman, a magazine came to her mailbox. It was a Swedish magazine. Something jumped out to her in the pages of this magazine It was a photo that was taken in Africa, and there was a grave with a white cross, and on the cross were the words, Sevea Flood. She knew it was her mother, and so she didn't really know much about the story, but she knew very little about her biological parents. And so she went to a nearby college where she knew a faculty member who could translate the article for her, and he summarized the story. It was about missionaries who had come to that village in the Congo and how the woman, Savea Flood, had died, and there had been one little African boy led to Christ. And the article said that gradually he won all of the villagers to Christ, and even the chief had become a Christian, all because of the sacrifice of David and Savea Flood. And when she was 
a little bit older, she went with her husband to visit Sweden. She found her biological father. And even though he had completely rejected God and had become an alcoholic, she went to meet with him. She talked to him about the fruit of their missionary labors, the fruit of her mother's leading that little boy to the gospel. And by the end of that afternoon, he had come back to God and repented of just resenting and giving up hope. A few years later, this woman was attending an evangelism conference in London, and she met the superintendent of the National Church from the Congo, representing some 110,000 baptized believers. He spoke eloquently about the gospel spread in his nation. And this woman could not help going up to him afterwards to ask if he had ever heard of David and Savea Flood. Yes, he said, it was Savea Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grace and her memory are honored by all of us. Now, that is just an astounding story of the fruit of God, the faithfulness of God, of reaping fruit in due time, of God's word not returning void. And even though David fled, had given up before he even saw the fruit of his ministry, he felt like his wife had died in vain. God's word was not returning void. And the seeds of truth that were planted, even though the woman was dead and the father had left the faith, the seeds of truth that were planted were reaping an amazing harvest. And even just the redemption of this little baby who was given away and grew up in the States, how she was able to lead her father to Christ and meet the man that her mother had led to Christ as a little boy before her mother had died. What an incredible testimony of the faithfulness of God and a reminder not to give up, not to become bitter and weary when we don't see the fruit of our our labors, the fruit of our ministry. Another little-known story is a missionary named Robert Germain Thomas. He went to China in 1863 with his young wife, and they had high hopes and great dreams about bringing the gospel to this country. But only a few months after they arrived in China, his wife passed away. And he was so just devastated and grieved that for a while he didn't know if he should still be a missionary. But it was not long after that that God revived him and really gave him a fresh burden for Korea. Korea was a closed country at that time, and anyone who tried to go from China to Korea would usually be killed. They didn't want any foreigners coming into their country. So there was really no church there. There was no way to get the Bible there. But he began to find ways just a few times, really, to smuggle Bibles across the border of Korea and give them to people, even though he couldn't speak really the language or communicate with them for very long. Every time he smuggled a Bible into Korea, he risked his life. And on the second or third time that he went to the shores of Korea to try to get Bibles over there, there was an attack on the boat that he was sailing on and everyone basically died. But he was able to go to the shore holding a white flag and had a Bible, his very last one that he wanted to give away. He knew he was going to die because he was seeing everyone around him be killed, but he persuaded the man who killed him to take the Bible. And there was a little boy there. This man's nephew was there. And so this little boy and this man who beheaded Robert Jermaine Thomas had the Bible. Now, this man died. Robert Jermaine Thomas died in his 20s and really without seeing any fruit. He had smuggled a few Bibles into Korea, but he, you know, if anybody looked at his life on the outside, you must have thought, well, what a waste. He was this very well-educated man, had so many talents, could have 
really lived a fruitful life. And yet he gave up his life on the shores of Korea, only having given away a few Bibles and that was it. And yet 30 years later, when the country began to open up and some of the first missionaries were able to come to Korea, they expected to not find any believers, but actually they found the beginnings of a very thriving church. The little boy who had been present when Robert Germain Thomas had died, had taken that Bible and read that Bible. And even the executioner had given his life to Christ. And their church church began in the little boy's house as an adult. He had grown up and had a house and he still had this Bible and he actually wallpapered his house with the pages of that Bible that Robert Germain Thomas had given him in the executioner right before he died. And that was incredible to see how God's word did not return void. You could look at a life like that and say, well, that was a waste, but it wasn't a waste to God. Another really amazing story that's more recent that I've shared before in this podcast is the story of Frank Jenner. And he was an Australian man who worked on George Street in Sydney, Australia during the Second World War. So he saw a lot of soldiers coming and going off the port of Sydney and knew that some of them would never be coming back from the war. So he gained a burden to witness and share truth to people on the street outside of where he worked. And every day after he closed up the shop and left his workplace, he would go to George Street and begin handing out tracts. And his desire was to witness to 10 people every day that he possibly could. And he did that for almost all of his life. Now, he really didn't know the fruit of his witnessing. He didn't know if anyone had ever really given their life to Christ until almost near the end of his life. There was a pastor who traveled all around the world named Francis Dixon. And everywhere he went in all these different countries, when he asked people to share their testimony, oftentimes they would refer back to meeting this little man on George Street in Sydney, Australia, who gave them a gospel tract and asked them a question about their soul. And that was what led them to seek after truth. And he started hearing this everywhere he went. And it turned out that so many people had been directly impacted by Frank Jenner's witness. They went to see Frank Jenner towards the end of his life, and they found out that he had personally witnessed to over 100,000 people. And so many of those people had gone on to become Christians and then gone on to become missionaries or pastors and lead others to Christ around the world. So the impact was truly immeasurable of this one man's faithful witness on George Street in Sydney, Australia, year after year without seeing the fruit. And he just Frank Jenner, when he heard about this, just tears came to his eyes because he said, I never knew of anyone actually going on for the gospel, going on to receive Christ, but I just kept at it, hoping and praying that it would make some difference. Again, what an amazing testimony that God's word does not return void. Just this man's faithfulness led to the conversion of over 100,000 people, which is more than most pastors or missionaries would ever hope to reach in their lifetime. Another truly astounding story is from the book by Darlene Dibler called Evidence Not Seen. And my husband, Eric, shared about this in his Daily Thunder podcast called Daring to Do as Stanley Dale. If you'd like to check that out, there's a link in this podcast description. But he talked about a man named Dr. Robert Jaffrey, who was very instrumental in reaching the interior of New Guinea with the gospel right in the early days, right before the Second World War, when Things it had just been discovered that there were so many tribes, so many people in the interior of New Guinea that had never actually been reached with the gospel. And so he had this passion, this vision to get the gospel into these unreached tribes. He was an older man when he got this vision, and Darlene and her husband Russell had just come to Indonesia to begin 
pioneering the work in interior New Guinea. And all of that happened right at the very beginning of the Second World War. So they were their missionary career was cut short. But she talks about going into Dr. Jaffrey's office. Now, this is right at the beginning of the war. Darlene's husband, Russell, had been captured by the Japanese army. He had been put into a concentration camp. She didn't know if she would ever see him again. The entire country was being overtaken and in control of the Japanese, and they were basically house prisoners. And she, of course, was thinking about all of that, the crisis that the world was in, wondering if she'd ever see her husband again. But late one night when she was under house arrest with some other missionaries, she went into Dr. Jaffrey's office and she saw him sitting with a Bible and a map of the interior of New Guinea. And he was dreaming about taking the gospel to those people. He was still dreaming about it, even though the world was in crisis, even though it seemed like there was no possible way to reach those people anymore. And this is how Darlene described it in her book. She said that Dr. Jaffrey told her, this lassie is our task. These are the areas we must enter after the war is over. With steady hand and the voice of one assured of victory, he traced the map of our coming campaign. The Vistal Lakes area down either side of the backbone and at last his finger came to rest on the Grand Valley of the Ballium. Now, Darlene and her husband, Russell, before the war had begun to pioneer work in interior New Guinea. But like I said earlier, this was abruptly cut short by the Japanese invasion. Darlene talked about leaving the interior of New Guinea right as they were starting to get established. And she said that she had this little adopted tribal boy that she wanted to be a mother to, and she had to say goodbye to him. And she said in her book, it would be a war and nine years and the tragic death of her husband before she would ever see him again. She was captured by the Japanese. Her husband died. She went through incredible horrors, unspeakable torture. And eventually, Dr. Jaffrey was also captured by the Japanese, and he died in the concentration camp. So here's this old man dreaming dreams, tracing the map with his fingers, saying, we are going to reach these people with the gospel. And now this young couple that was supposed to go in there, the husband has died, the wife has been captured, almost died several times, went through torture, and then he himself died without seeing the fruit of that dream coming to pass. And Darlene must have wondered if all of those first steps into the interior of New Guinea were in vain, if real fruit would ever be seen, if those dreams of Dr. Jaffrey were just all in vain. Because again, he died of a disease in a Japanese prison camp just a few months after sharing that vision with Darlene, and he never lived to see that dream fulfilled. How could those dreams that God had given him to bring the gospel to those unreached people ever come true in the midst of such unbelievable hindrances? But again, God says his word does not return void, and our steps of obedience are never in vain. He is faithful to water seeds that are planted for his glory. And so after the war was done, when Darlene finally was able to return to the United States, this is how her story went on from there. It says, Darlene Dibler arrived in Oakland, California, emaciated and emotionally fatigued to be welcomed into her family's love and care on November 30th, 1945. Over the next two years, Darlene testified to the power and presence of God throughout her prison experience before many who marveled at the fact that she had survived at all. Time eased her grief over Russell's death while her memories of their life together in New Guinea confirmed her calling and necessity to return. She had been called to serve as a missionary long before she met Russell. She resisted the many words of advice against single women missionaries, especially one as young as she, as well as the encouragement to stay home and let some years of comfort repay her for her pain in the South Pacific. 
1946, a young man named Gerald Rose was given a film to use in his deputation. So he was going to become a missionary and he was raising money and he was given this film to use as he was raising money. And it was a documentary of Reverend C. Russell Dibler's trek to the Vissel Lakes area in the interior of Dutch New Guinea. Gerald Rose was already under appointment to this primitive mission field. Mutual friends arranged a meeting between Darlene and Jerry, and as it was in God's plan, Jerry and Darlene married on April 4, 1948, and they began their ministry in New Guinea in early 1949. Together, Darlene and Jerry returned to the Vissel Lakes area and later pioneered the work among the Donnie tribe in the Balim Valley. Now, if you remember Dr. Jaffrey's dream that night, when Darlene had gone into his office and he was tracing the map with his finger, it was the Ballium Valley that he said, we need to bring the gospel there. And that's exactly where Darlene and her second husband went and stayed for about 40 years. They raised two sons there among the native people, and they stayed in New Guinea until 1978 when there was a government switch and they had to leave. But what an incredible testimony. Later, I remember listening to stories by Otto Koning, who became a missionary to New Guinea in the 60s, and he always spoke about the amazing faith of the Dani people. He was trying to reach different tribes with the gospel that had never been reached, but he knew he could always always call on help from the Donnie people. And this was lasting fruit of Darlene and Jerry's ministry to them because they were pioneers in bringing the gospel to the Donnie people. And that was direct fruit of Dr. Jaffrey's faithful praying for those very people. So years and years and years later, it is proven that God's word has not returned void in this situation. In God's perfect time, Darlene's burden and Russell's burden and Dr. Jaffrey's burden was fulfilled by the power of God. These stories are just a few examples of how we should not become weary in well-doing for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I want to finish with maybe a less dramatic story. And I'm sure I've shared it before on this podcast, but it's the story of my husband, Eric, giving his life to Christ. Eric has an older sister, Christina, who prayed for him for years and years and years. She was a very strong Christian, but he was more of a Christian in name only. And she saw just the hypocrisy in his life and the lack of spiritual passion. And year after year, she continued to wrestle in prayer for him. He just continued to sort of treat her disrespectfully because of her radical devotion to Christ. And yet she didn't give up. She continued to pray. A lot of us would have stopped after a few years, especially if the person that we're praying for isn't showing any signs of change and they're making fun of us because of our faith in Christ. You know, it's that temptation to say, I'm just done. I'm going to walk away. But she did not give up. One year when Eric was in college, she gave him a book, The Life Story of Keith Green. He didn't really want to read it. He wasn't attracted to it, but he took it with him to college and it just seemed to call to him from the bookshelf. So finally he read it and he fell down in his dorm room. It so powerfully impacted his life, fell down on his knees, gave his life radically to Christ. And the first person that he called was his sister. And the only thing she could do was cry out of joy because God had shown himself faithful because his word had not returned void. If you have become lax, discouraged, or weary in praying for someone or reaching them with truth, these stories are so important to remember. This principle of God's word not returning void, this principle of never giving up is critical to hang on to. Don't let the enemy get in there with that voice of discouragement. It's not doing any good. You may as well give up. That's the voice that we're tempted to listen to. We need to listen to God's promise that none of this is in vain. Our labor is not in vain when we are laboring in obedience to him. 
This has been a personal struggle for me for many years at different times when I'm just not feeling like what I'm doing is making any difference. But these little reminders throughout Christian history and the reminders from the word of God, of God's faithfulness and the promise that we will reap if we do not become faint, if we do not lose heart, have given me strength time and time again. I pray they will do the same for you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into building a Christ-centered life or learn more about sharing truth with others, visit us at setapartgirl.com and check out the many resources that we have for you there, including our online mentoring program, which has loads of videos and online courses that can help you take these truths deeper in your life. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.